the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back to Hour 5. We do so as we do most Mondays with a briefing from the great Brandon Weikert. Brandon J. Weikert, author of many books, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He is also the publisher of the Weikert Report, and he is a columnist for The Washington Times, The Asia Times, and others. Brandon, happy Monday. I hope you had a good weekend. I did. I did. Thank you for having me back. And uh, it's another glorious Monday that we get to do this. Yeah, it really is. And it's a delight to share your uh, brain thinking and analysis with our audience. It's a consistent uh, fan favorite. Yeah, you bet. And it's great for me, too. Uh, Let's start domestic before we go abroad. Um, Okay, the document scandal with Joe Biden. I was saying for the past couple of weeks that the reason this is a big story is because it was made a big story when it was Donald Trump. I've changed my mind over the weekend, and you can straighten me out, flunk me, or give me an A. I don't, I'll look to you on this. I've changed my mind. When you look now at the latest findings and you stop and consider that these were documents taken from Capitol Hill, you used to work on Capitol Hill. You know how people read classified intel on Capitol Hill. They don't get to possess at any point. Do they get to possess these documents? As far as I recall, when my time was there um, in a way that they can transport them away from a secured facility, Um, you have that you have the time lapse which no one really knows that much about. You had the obvious November findings, and then you had that covered up until there were December findings, which has has had the quietest put on it until that there were findings over the last subsequent weeks. We have no idea what the Biden folks may have done to cleanse and change and conceal anything that they suspect they might have to cleanse, change, and conceal. And then you have this last thing I'll say, which is kind of an interesting sentence to say. The FBI has searched and seized documents from a sitting president's home. Yeah. So I think yeah. this is actually more than just a big deal because it was made a big deal in the Trump case. I think this has a several big deals to it. Am oh, I, I am I, I wrong? I, no, this is a big deal. Um, it wouldn't have been a big deal though the way it is had they not done this to Trump. And so it just shows you how they're hoist by their own petard because they're you know everything is get Trump, get Trump, get Trump. But how many times has it blown up in their face? Uh, you know, and it's it's insane. Um, so what we're finding, and I was just driving home, and I was listening to the radio to one of your competitors, and they meant, made the mention that oh, um, uh, it, found, it looks like they uh, found classified documents 
that go back to when Biden was the Senate Intelligence or the Senate Foreign Relations. Yes, that's right. Chairman. When he was a U.S. This senator. Goes sure. Decades. Yeah. This yeah. goes back decades. Yes. So yes. this guy, think about it. This guy has sat at the top of the U.S. intelligence cycle for 50 years, whether he was in the Senate or the vice presidency or now the presidency. And these documents have been getting siphoned outside of their secured environment and sent over to unsecured environment next to his beautiful Corvette. And uh, the same house, by the way, where that Corvette and those documents, many of them were housed, it turns out, Hunter Biden was entertaining Chinese nationals. Documents so not long- documents not about the Dominican Republic, by the way. Documents right, not right. about Jamaica. Documents China and, and Ukraine related. Yeah. And all the meanwhile, Seth, the Biden family got fabulously rich on a senator's salary and then a vice president's salary. Uh, and so this is this is a, a, a pay to play type scandal that basically. You know, Biden shows whoever wants to pay the highest amount to him are state secrets. And, uh, you know, they, they get away with uh, whatever the secrets they get to learn. And then they use it against us at the negotiating table when their country has to deal with our representatives or when their military has to go up against ours. I mean, it's really uh, it's very obvious that this is some kind of pay to play scandal on a truly epic level. Um, and they've already thrown Ron Klain under the bus. Uh, you know, the rumor is chief of staff. The rumor was that about six months ago, seven months ago, Ron Klain wanted to leave. Uh, you and I had talked about that at yep. the time, yep. but then he sort of held off doing that. Well, now he's out. Well, it's probably partly because he was an intimate member of the Biden yep. circle for decades. Yeah. And so, and by the way, Ron Klain, I like to call him the uh, original election denier because he was the lawyer right. for Al Gore right. in 2000 That's right. That's who right. convinced Al Gore to challenge the election. That's right. And he's the White House chief of staff That's now. Right. That's right. So just a little sidebar. But uh, this thing is, is there, this is the tip of the iceberg. Whether or not we're going to get to the bottom of it, I doubt it because it's Biden and he's protected on some level. He, I think, would end up leaving office before we ever got to the bottom of it. Um, you probably know, that's right. Trump, yeah, probably if that's right. If this were Trump, not Biden, this would be another impeachable offense. Yeah. But, you know, it is what it is. But this is really disturbing stuff, which is why going after Hunter Biden, that scandal is so important, because it's all part of this nexus of corruption. And it's really sordid, and it's really seedy. And if we're not careful, it's going to get perpetuated. Trump managed to stop the Clinton crime family from perpetuating this kind of corruption. But what we're finding out is in the Democratic Party in the swamp, for both parties the swamp, um, the, it's a hydra that we're dealing with, not a dragon, but a multi-headed animal. Well, let me add a head to it, which is your Secretary of State, who is the executive director Absolutely. of the Biden Center at the University of Pennsylvania, which Absolutely. in wealth under the University of Pennsylvania, and I take it the Bidens by millions, no, sorry, tens of millions of dollars. Cartoonish levels of money were given to that supposed think tank that no one had really heard of, um, and that supposedly it was doing something well, I'll tell you what it was doing. It was an insecure warehouse for um, a bunch of classified documents that had a lot of relevance to what the donors of that think tank at the University of Pennsylvania that was run by the Biden people 
had a lot of relevance to the, the donors of that think tank, the international donors, in much the same way that the Clinton Global Initiative did uh, for the Clinton crime family. The Biden syndicate is the new Clinton crime family. And you've got to ask yourselves, uh, you have to see it's not just Clinton or Biden. This is systemic. Yep. And so you have to ask yourself, what are the Obamas? How, what are they trading in? Yeah. How did they get so fabulously wealthy? It's not just speaking deals. Yeah. It's not just Netflix deals. This is a seedy, sordid, swampy admixture of corruption. And I don't know if we have uh, the ability to dig as deep as we should to get to the bottom of it all. But it is not good for this republic, I can tell you that much. Well. I'm thinking that James Comer, uh, Senator, uh, excuse me, the congressman who heads up House Oversight, you know, he's he's been doing uh, seemingly some dogged work on this. And maybe he can bring in Secretary of State Blinken to answer some questions about this. Maybe he can bring in Ron Klain. Maybe they can put them under oath. Maybe they can put them under oath and give them immunity so they can't plead the Fifth Amendment. But it does right. seem to me that the precedent has been set that even where there are special counsels appointed, the House can still do its own investigation. That's My right. God, the U.S. attorney in they D.C. was interviewing 900 people from January 6th while there was a January right. 6th committee. Right. Right. And, and I, I said this last week and I'll say it again. Um, you know, if they did this to Trump on what were trumped up charges of him colluding with Russia, whatever that means. Um, and they never proved anything. There's absolutely nothing they proved, but they were able to generate all of this controversy and smoke with a bunch of BS. Um, the Republicans have it's within their right to do the same thing. And the, 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 the difference is, is the Republicans have less power than the Democrats did when Trump was in office. Um, and so um, they've got to really stick to it. Um, and they've got to really focus on that uh, while also you know, focusing on legislation. They can't just focus on getting the Biden family as cathartic as that would be. Um, They have to also show that they can govern by trying to generate legislation. Yeah, but you know what would be an interesting... Let me take a commercial break and have you chew on this over that break. You know what would be an interesting piece or series of legislation that you could, you know, obviously hold committee hearings on to get there is the point you were making, and you could put this all together in a bow, the point you were making about uh, federally elected officials, elected officials in the federal government who then can earn and trade off their access. That would be an interesting thing to have hearings on and expose and contemplate legislation on. That would be... Yeah. That would be a nexus of, of interests, I think. Let me let me oh, yeah. let me push on that with you when we come right back. I'm Seth He's Brandon. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson show. Brandon Weikert is our guest, author, and uh follow him on Twitter too. He's got a really active feed. It's at we W E the article. Brandon. We the Brandon. Um, Brandon, so this is something that does bother people. Um, how 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 unwelthened, shall we say, how unwelthened uh, publicly elected officials uh, become? So you had mentioned Joe Biden, who had been an elected official for some fifty odd years, and then for four years is out of office on an income that really is um, questionable. With his wife as a junior college 
professor, I guess. And all of a sudden they end up with four homes and houses they can rent out at $50,000 a month, I guess. This this is the kind of thing that bothers people. It really does. And it's a game both parties have played, don't get me wrong. But it's kind of hard to think of the Republican example in the context of the Clintons, the Bidens, and the Obamas. Right. And um, it's, there are pretty much everybody in Congress who've been there for a long time, like Mitch McConnell. Yep. Everybody has benefited from these sort of these sweetheart deals and special exemptions and I scratch your back, you scratch my back. Yep. That's how it works up there. I hate to tell everybody. Uh, remember, I was talking to you about the McCarthy, uh, the whole McCarthy fight, and I said that McCarthy's going to be the speaker because he raised half a billion dollars yep. for the Republicans. Yeah. I don't care what any Matt Gates is saying or how he's fighting for us or whatever. The bottom line is it's, it's the money that talks up there for both parties. Yep. So McCarthy was going to be the speaker no matter what Matt Gates and those guys did because right. he raised half a billion dollars. So it's the same thing. So the, the, the difference is, though, the level of, of coordinated corruption on the Democrat side is so obscene. Um, it, it, since the Clinton years, it's just gotten so out of hand, and no one's stopping it. It's open season because the Democrats, for them, power is the pathway to wealth, um, and wealth you know, helps support, support their power, their, their pretensions of power. And so... Um, the Democrats are really the, the big bad actors here, but the Republicans do it as well. And um, what you were mentioning before the break, I would love for a committee hearing on that. Yeah. But they won't do that because 99% of people elected in Congress and in the Senate, regardless of party, are bought and paid for on some level by big special interests. Uh, and they're not going to want that kind of dirty laundry being aired. Then how do we ever um, drain the swamp? I mean, then the drain the swamp phrase well, is meaningless. Well, and well, and to be fair, if you know the origins of why Trump started saying that, Trump didn't even mean it when he said it. Right. Um, I think it was Eric Bowling, uh who was backstage with him after he had won. He was on one of those speaking right. engagements right after he won the, the presidency in 2016, and he was about to go on stage, and I think it was Bowling or, or somebody had said, you know, you just need to get in there and drain the swamp. And Trump looked at him. He said, I don't know what that means, but I like it. Yeah. And then he walked out to the stage and he said he's going to drain the swamp. And the audience was applauding right. and it was going crazy. And then he stuck with it because that's what the audience liked. But he didn't really even understand what that would entail. And you saw that as Rush Limbaugh recounted before he yep. died. Yep. He said that the inauguration, he was there that weekend. He stayed at the White House with Trump and he had to pull Trump aside and say, the New York Times is never going to like you. They are never going to be your friends. Stop trying to reach out to these people because they hate you with every fiber of their feet because you've already declared war on them before you were even sworn in. Yeah. And Trump didn't understand that. Yeah. And so I did, you know, I, I voted for him. I liked him. But, you know, I never bought this whole he really dug himself in because he said he was at war with the swamp. He didn't have the ammunition to go at war. I, I think they beat him at every turn, know? to be honest with you. They did. Okay. They did. They I think he walked into every him. trap they set for him. He did. Honest to God. He did. Okay. He did. And it didn't help the people he had around him were right. a bunch of, you know, psychotics who weren't saying <laughs> you need to measure this. 
<laughs> what did Peggy Noonan say the other day? I mean, I don't always love her, but she did have a pretty good line about two weeks ago. She said he's now surrounded by third and fourth rate advisors when he used to be surrounded by second and third rate advisors. I mean, <laughs> I, you know, there's something. True. Yeah. Individually, yeah. individually, he did have one or two really yeah, of good course, ones, of course. but they didn't stick with him no. because he kept firing everybody yes. and then he got all the C&D teamers. Yes, yes, yes. But. It is coming to a point, I mean, where, uh, look, I'm, I, I see it in Arizona. I see it in the stuff I'm hearing and reading from other platforms, Brandon, that the people I, – I, I didn't take corruption as, as seriously as I probably should have for many, many years. But it really does bother people, and, and, and rightly so. And it's, it's kind of reaching a pinnacle of tolerance. Yeah. Um, and, and so you are seeing – you know, when you see – some members of the parties becoming a little bit more and sometimes more than a little bit more extreme. I think it has to do in large part with them feeling they have no voice anymore, no say anymore due to the corruption and the fix being in, so to speak. It's because it is. And so the upside is we're not yet at the banana republic stage where literally votes don't matter. Right. We're almost there. We're at the stage where I think if we can get enough of a groundswell from the bottom up, it will translate over time. Now, in, I should say, I think there are like seven, I might be wrong about this, 76 uh, elected officials in Congress who, like Matt Gates, uh, don't take special donor money. Oh, okay. They, they okay. do small they just won't, tickets. Yeah, okay. Small donations. Yeah. They made that a conscious choice starting in 2018. I think I think Raskin, the Democrat, might also be one of them. Okay. But it's both parties. There's a handful of them who have made have signed on to this movement where they won't accept big donor monies for their campaign. However, though, that makes them very weak electorally. Yeah. That means that they can't do as much yeah. unless they're in a safe district. You know, uh, what's his face in Florida? Gates is, yeah. is in a very safe district. Yeah. But if you're in And a he has a lot of district, money personally. He's personally Yes, very he does. Yes. And he has a lot of fans behind yeah. him. Yeah. So, you know, and by the way, some argued, and I don't think they were wrong, that he was using that McCarthy fight not to stand on principle, but to generate more small ticket donations because he was fundraising off his opposition to McCarthy's leadership, and now, of course, he's totally sanguine with it. Yeah. Um, but but the point is, is that there's a handful, about 76, I think, of Democrats and Republicans who refuse to take big ticket money, and that's expressly because of these movements that started about 10, 15 years ago in the kind of the grassroots sides of the two parties, saying stop taking special interest money. Yeah. So it's not a, that's not enough people. There's 535 members of, of you know both houses combined. So 76 really isn't a lot, but that's still more, I think, than what most people would assume. And we can build off that. But well, change, we probably ought to. We probably ought to, and we probably ought yeah. to take a look at what it is they've signed off on. And maybe you and I write something up for a magazine that makes it even yeah, tighter. I'm, yeah. I'm for okay. that. All right. Lasting change, though, begins, and it takes a long time. No. It doesn't happen overnight. No, I get it. All right. Let me uh, let me move over to your other metier, which is foreign policy and national security. When we come by right back, Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is the author of Winning Space. He is the author of Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He is the author of The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. He and I will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. He is a consultant. He is an author. He is a journalist with uh, the Asia Times and the Washington Times and others. Uh, Brandon, where would we start our conversation today on foreign policy and national security? Ukraine, Russia, you want to start there? Do you want to start yeah. in the Middle East? Okay, give us an update. What's the goings on on Ukraine and Russia right now? Uh, our mainstream media is lying to us. Our government is lying to us. Um, it, it is it is very bad right now for Ukraine. Um, they need us to send a ridiculous amount of tanks. Um, they are, will not get them in time, and they won't get them in the numbers they need, and they won't get them before the training they their troops need um, is given. Uh, all the meanwhile, the Russians are in a renewed offensive. And the Russians are on a total war foot. And so now I've been talking, you know, since the conflict began, really, saying we need to get that window of opportunity for a deal done. Well, that window, I think, is closed. And um, I, don't, I don't think there will be a deal. I think that the writing is on the wall. Now that Putin is totally committed, um, the Russians are going to they're going to they're going to do what the Russians do. They're going to grind out their enemy. They're going to they're going to beat them through attrition. They're going to bleed them dry. Uh, everybody keeps talking about this winter, about how it's not that cold. And therefore, it benefits Ukrainians. Well, numbers don't lie. The, the Ukrainians are losing people at a far faster rate now than the Russians are. The Russians are losing a lot of people, too. But they have a larger population base than do the Ukrainians. Um, and now we're in a position where the people who run NATO, they've also, I think, abandoned any hope of a deal. And they're starting to get desperate, and they're starting to talk about doing things, and they're starting to, to, to look at doing things that are really irresponsible. Things like providing real-time actionable intelligence uh, to Ukrainian missile operators and drone operators so that they can attack Moscow directly with conventional arms. Uh, bombing Moscow. Expanding the uh, war is the other phrase. There's another the way to put talking it. Yeah. About, yeah. Talking about using U.S. intelligence capabilities to, expand to directly the right. attack the capital of a nuclear-armed power. The last time Moscow was attacked, the Russians went from Moscow straight to the gates of Berlin, and they didn't leave until 1991. Right. And so we are creating, Seth, the very conditions that we are trying to avoid with this stupid war. Um, and, you know, I support the Ukrainians. I've been very consistent. We've done the right thing by them. But now we have led them the wrong way because there was an opportunity six or seven months ago when Boris Johnson was still prime minister in Britain. There was an opportunity when Kiev under Zelensky was asking Putin for a deal. And Putin under with Putin's advisor Lavrov was pushing Putin to do it. And then Boris Johnson got on a jet and flew to Kiev and had a one-on-one with, with uh, Zelensky, who then after that meeting came out and said there will be no deal. And so that killed the chances for an independent Ukraine. So here's what's going to happen, I think. Russia's going to take its time over the next five, six months. They're going to grind out the Ukrainians. We're going to dither on giving them the aid they need. And frankly, the aid they need we can't render uh, for various reasons that we've gone over before. The Ukrainians are going to lose their country. The Russians are going to take it at this rate. And that's now going to become a question of what will the Poles do? Will Poland let the Russian Red Army, or not the Red Army, will Poland let the Russian army 
move right up to their border by taking the whole country of Ukraine? Or will, more probably, the Poles send a large force into western Ukraine, what used to historically be called Galicia, and take that and create a line of control, basically annexing western Ukraine, in order to prevent the Russians from getting right on Poland's border, and more importantly, to prevent the millions of war refugees from Ukraine moving into Poland and destabilizing the Polish system. That is where we are headed. And at the end of this thing, I fear, I believe, um, when we lose Ukraine, unfortunately, the Russians will have shown NATO to be toothless, and we will basically see the collapse of NATO as we understand it, and therefore one of the key pillars of American foreign policy in the world today completely eroded. You will likely see neo-Nazi or far-right and far-left that, that are pro-Russian government uh, forming in Germany. You will likely see similar government forming in France. These are two of the most important European powers. Um, you will likely see a breakup of European solidarity, such as it is. Poland will remain faithful to the United States, but it will be a strained relationship for sure. Britain will find itself isolated increasingly from Europe, forced to depend on the U.S. more. And the Americans will be kicked completely out, likely, of uh, Europe. Hold All the thought. Hold the thought, Brandon. Okay. That's that's a lot of <laughs> that's what we call in law a parade of horribles. It's a lot to digest. <laughs> Let, yeah, I know. Right. Let me take the quick commercial break. We'll pick up on it when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson <laughs> show. Yeah, right. I know, Brandon. Brandon Weikert is our guest. I know. Well, but the thought I had over all of this and the parade of horribles you outlined in the previous segment is what a great time. You know what? Let me not do it sarcastically. Let me do it seriously. What a crucial moment then it would be to really have a strong, respected with it, President of the United States. I mean, it is interesting what you outlined with NATO and what could very well be its destruction after, what, 60 years. Um, yeah. It was all about, do you remember all the headlines about Trump destroying NATO? Yeah. 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 You know, you know, Seth, this would have never happened had Trump been president. Oh, I, never. I, we would, I, we yeah, and it would have started, and the, ro- and the road would have stopped in Afghanistan. It would have stopped right. there. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so I've been critical of POTUS 45. Sure. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm not a sycophant, um, but um, man, do, do I miss him from time to time? Because, um, you know, I think I think COVID was a big dropping of the ball moment for him, but he got a lot of other stuff right. And we are literally on the pre- now. Here's the deal, um, you know, Putin is issuing nuclear threats again, and. Western leaders keep joking about it and taking it, oh, look, he's, he's impotent. He can't do anything. All he can do is issue threats. He's got the largest nuclear arsenal in the world, Seth. If he really wants to go nuclear against us, what the heck are we going to do? He's got the largest tactical nuclear warhead uh, arsenal in the world, the most sophisticated as well. Thank you, Obama. Um, what are we going to do? Return fire with an ICBM? No, it's, it's no, no, no. Of course not. You know? Of course not. Then we also think about this also. They're talking about um, they're talking about using U.S. satellite capabilities to pinpoint target 
targets in Moscow for mm -hmm. when Ukraine decides to do this drone offensive or launch with long-range missiles that we're going to give them or whatever. Well, do you really think that the scenario I outlined in my book, Winning Space, of a Russian space Pearl Harbor, you think that's not going to become a reality then? Right. Because right. I can guarantee you Putin's going to say, okay, maybe I won't hit you with nukes because I've got other things. Right. You guys keep saying, I'm not a world power. Well, guess what? I can really I'm a universal power. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. And then there's another thing. Um, I, I, I hate to break it to you. I'm just going to say it now. I've been holding back for many times. <laughs> yes, but, I've been, I have but, accused you of holding back. Yes, uh, go ahead. In um, this one, there, for a fact, there are U.S. servicemen and women on the ground in Ukraine. There are British servicemen and women on the ground in Ukraine. There are Canadians. There are Poles. The term is sheep dip, where basically they are wearing the colors of the country, Ukraine, or they're there as a mercenary. You know, guy. Joe Biden has leaked out little bits of this, and I didn't know if he was meaning it, if he was misspeaking well, or if he was leaking things he shouldn't have been so, saying. But this this really wouldn't be a Joe headline in some respects. Yeah, I mean, well, there's, by the way, to, your, to our first segment, the fact that he slips this stuff out is another signal right. of how un, unacceptable it is he had all those classified documents. Right, right. Uh, at the ready. But anyway— um, there was careless weekend, and irresponsible might be the phrase putting know. it mildly. Yeah. Um, uh, but, but there was a young man who was a Navy SEAL whose cover story was that he was, um, basically a wall since 2019, a Navy SEAL, and he wound up fighting the Russians in Ukraine and he was killed defending Bakhmut. That is a cover story. He was operating on behalf of us intelligence, NATO intelligence, uh, he was there doing things for us, and, and I get it, but you know what? We've now crossed a red line. We don't even realize we've crossed it, and now Americans are dying, and I'm sure British have been killed, and I'm sure Canadians have been killed. They're not there on their own. They're there serving uh, a, a larger purpose belonging to NATO. Um, in some cases, they are mercenaries, and, uh, but they're all doing the same thing. They're supporting the NATO mission, and this makes everybody feel good. But you know what? What happens when Russia says, because my understanding is they've captured alive one of our servicemen, and he is talking to them. And he's giving them intelligence, the Wagner group, the Russian mercenary group, which means he's probably being tortured to death. What's going to happen when the Russians have ample evidence that U.S. servicemen and women are fighting in Ukraine? And they're not going to be okay with that anymore. How do you think they're going to escalate, especially when they've been made into a pariah? Now, granted, their actions have helped to make them into pariah. I'm not excusing Russia, but this is a time when statesmanship is required. And sadly, largely because of the president we have, we are now teetering on the brink of something very, very dark. It has been just about a year, almost exactly a year since Joe Biden started making a big deal of this issue. You'll recall he dedicated the first quarter of his entire State of the Union speech a year ago to this very issue, the invasion of uh, Ukraine by Russia. Hopes were raised. The communication was lousy because he was talking about sanctions and and their deterrence effect while Kamala Harris was out talking about sanctions and their deterrence effect in an entirely 180 degree different manner. And then the hopes were raised yet again when we were talking and hearing phraseology like crushing sanctions. I mean, not just the hopes of Ukraine and the free world, but the hopes of Americans 
uh, were raised very highly by this administration. And Brandon, um, it's interesting to me that Joe Biden not only doesn't talk about it anymore, he doesn't get asked about it anymore. No, it's the most ambivalent we've been about a major war since the invasion of Iraq. If you remember, yeah. right before Iraq, nobody asked the question of whether we should be there or not. Right. That came after we were right. already there, when right. it was sort of a meaningless discussion at that point. Yeah. Uh, the same thing. We are now, just like in 1914, we are sleepwalking Seth, into a major geopolitical crisis in which it should just be a proxy regional fight that we can easily get out of. Now it has not only become an existential fight for Ukraine and Russia, it's now, as I said in the last segment, become an existential fight for NATO, which, crazily enough, Ukraine's not even a member of NATO. Right, right. crazily enough. So what enough. are we doing? Right, right. What right. are we doing? Right. And we're just drifting. And, you know, Seth, we are a lot like, it is, it's not like World War II. If I have to hear one more American leader cosplaying as Winston Churchill, I'm going to throw up. Mm-hmm. This is not. World War II. This is World War One, And sadly, the United States is playing the role of the Germans, who gave carte blanche to their Austrian ally to do whatever they needed to do to respond to the regional Balkan crisis. Well, without realizing that the Austrians were going to take that as a license to basically run roughshod, and that was going to initiate a much larger conflict with the allies and the friends of that smaller power that was being picked on. And so now here we are. Biden has given carte blanche to Ukraine, who's in a fight for its very existence. Yeah. They're not just going to give up. Yeah. So this is where we're at now. We're being led into a major war, the likes of which we're likely going to lose at this rate, because we let our Ukrainian ally, who wants to survive, understandably, have a blank check to basically get us involved in a direct war with nuclear-armed Russia. How do you think that's going to end? Not well. Not with Biden in charge. Brandon. Brandon. Happy Monday. Yeah, right. You know I love you, and our audience does as well. God bless you, sir. Thank you, as always. You bet. All right, we'll talk next week. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. If you are concerned about the stock market's volatility, especially with the President Joe Biden in office, why refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market. It's a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on and off. You can compound it, whatever you choose. And there's no loss of principle if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure collateralized portfolio that delivers an up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, 10.25%. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm. You can check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34. That's 888-YREFI-34. I was mentioning at the top of the show uh, hours ago (laughs) in the uh, opening hour in my uh, monologue that uh, I have been uh, reading a new uh, biography of Abraham Lincoln's. And I was reminded of something interesting, and it may be perhaps pertinent, I think very much perhaps pertinent, to the conversation we were having with Brandon Weikert. Many people know Abraham Lincoln's creation of the phrase that America is the last best hope of Earth. He said that in, uh, in a message to Congress in 1862, we shall nobly save or mainly lose the last 
best hope of Earth. And what I was reminded of is that was not an entirely new construction or creation. He had made an utterance in that direction 10 years earlier in his eulogy of Henry Clay that the world's best hope depended on the continued union of these states. He was calling America the world's best hope 10 years before that. And get this, get this, even 50 years before that, the phrase was Thomas Jefferson's in his very first inaugural that he spoke of this government, the world's best hope. That's where it comes from. It started with Jefferson and ran the thread through Lincoln all the way to the construction Ronald Reagan used, all of which is to say, folks, all of which is to say how important American leadership is, how important leadership is. And while we may not be reading the headlines of Ukraine and Russia every day or as scrupulously as Brandon Weikert is and analyzing them, or the headlines of what may the goings-on be in the Middle East, or for that matter, China. Brandon and I didn't even get to what's going on in China right now. It's so critical, so critical, that the one thing we almost never talk about in presidential elections, foreign policy and national security, almost never, almost never. I remember Hugh Hewitt once saying, Americans, as important as it is, don't vote on it. We better start thinking about it next to go round. We better not be taking it for granted anymore, or we won't be the world's best hope or last best hope. Today we are. Until tomorrow, God bless you all. Class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.